Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello everyone, welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is episode number 264 of the world's most dangerous podcast. I'm your host, Chad Dotson. With me this week, once again, your friend and mine, Jason Linden. How are we today, Jason? Uh, we are well, Chad, though though the viewers will detect something less dulcet with your tones than is normal. It is a fact. I am uh, a little have some allergy issues. I'm, my voice is a little bit shot, but you know, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take a day off here. I got to provide this hot uh, podcast content for our, all our viewers. So hey, we're here on well, our regular schedule, right? You are the Cal Ripken of podcasting. Hey, <laughs> something like that. Um, hey, let's talk about the Cincinnati Reds if we can. A little bit later, we're going to get into some Red Leg Nation radio madness. We're down to the Sweet 16, so stick around for that. And hopefully we'll have time even for some viewer mail questions. But I want to talk about the Reds, and, and here's my hypothesis. And, and you let me know what if you think I'm completely off base here, Jason Linden. It wouldn't be the first time. It would not. You are very quick to let me know when I'm wrong. The Reds began the season 1-8. and eight. That's one win and eight losses. That was fun. That's not ideal. No, not ideal. Since that time, though, it seems to me like the Reds have played like the Reds team we kind of hoped we'd see. I think, I think uh, has the game actually been rained out tonight? It looks like it's about to get uh, or Yeah, probably now I keep looking, but I don't think it's official yet. They're up three to nothing um, through, what, six and a half? Yeah, it's, uh, a, it's an official game, and then the rain came in, and a uh, pretty exciting uh, game, actually. Um, we're going to talk about Luis Castillo. We'll talk talk about tonight's game in a moment, but so that would have them at ten and fourteen, I believe. Ten and fourteen, which would mean nine and six since the since the one and eight start. Wow, are you a math teacher? I am an English teacher. Oh, but I can do math sometimes. Proficient in addition and subtraction. Um, yeah, so nine and six since that bad start. Uh, that's I guess closer. So what we thought they'd be, and in a lot of ways, with the offense starting to come around a little bit, it is yeah. looking a little bit more like the team we expected, right? Yeah, and I, I just can't, <laughs> I just can't be that worried. I, it's just, it's still so early. I, I was looking at one point, people just panic about things, and I was like, well, let me, let me look it up. It was like I think it was the twenty first. It was earlier this week. It's like, let's see who would have been the playoff teams on this date last year. And out of the 10 teams that, that would have made the playoffs if the season had ended on April 21st, 2018, two of them actually made the playoffs. Yeah, I saw that, I saw that you posted that, and, and you're right. It's uh, yeah. it's not a, uh, you know, your season's not condemned if you start 1-8. and eight. If you start 3-18 and 18, like last year, maybe. Yeah. But my, my, my thing was, no, let's not panic, but let's be realistic here. If the Reds are a roughly 500 team, and if they play, which is sort of what I thought going into the season, and if they play 500 ball the rest of the way, they're still going to be just, what, a 78-win team because they started right. off so poorly, you know. Yeah. Uh, it, they're going to be seven games under 500 if they played 500 the rest of the way. So, But they played better than 500 since then, and largely on the back of this pitching, right? Still, even though the offense is coming around somewhat, Pitching, yeah. fantastic. The pitching has been amazing. Another hypothesis for you, Jason Linden. All right. Luis Castillo and Sonny Gray, as good a one-two punch as the Reds have had since Bucky Walters and Paul Derringer. Um, 
no. The answer is no. It's silly. But but a pretty good but a pretty good Chadwick. Uh, maybe since Luis or since Johnny Cueto and uh, who would you call the number two in that rotation back in the huh Latos maybe maybe Latos for a couple years Arroyo's never a number two. Um, oh, Arroyo actually had he had a couple of years where he was better than everybody thought he was. Yeah, but I don't know. I, you know that was a really good rotation back then. Edinson Volquez in there, yeah. and, and I guess Homer Bailey was there for a short period. The number. Two guy probably. Yeah, Homer. It would have been Homer. That's yeah. So you know, I, I'm what I'm, and again, we're so early in the season. We're talking six starts for Luis Castillo, five for Sonny Gray, but nothing but encouraging things we've seen from them that makes you think they could be a a serious one two punch for the Reds, yeah. right? So I do. I do want to jump in here and say that we're not really at this point just talking six starts for for Luis Castillo. Thank this you. is another yes. like. Things that Jason looks up because apparently I don't have enough on my plate. Um, but somebody asked me at one point on Twitter, just like, you know, basically what has his Reds career been like if we take out last April when he was terrible? Um, and But also there was this acknowledged mechanical flaw, right? Well, I looked it up and he had like a three point, I can't remember the exact number, it was like a 3.2 ERA in 250 innings. That's uh, really not bad, Jason. That is that is very, very good is what that is. Especially when you consider that everyone widely considered him to be uh, not a flop last year, but a disappointment. I think that's fair, right? Yeah, I, I, I think he had a bad last April, and I think he was very I think last April something clearly was wrong, and they fixed it, and he's been fine since then. Like I don't think even after April last year he was a disappointment. Let me rephrase it. You know that. I know that. Our listeners, who are the smartest listeners, yes. listening, viewers. Many people do not know that. I will agree to that. That's what I'm saying. I think that the common wisdom about Luis Casillo was that he had a disappointing season when everyone was expecting him to take a step forward and be an ace. Yeah. And, and the truth of it is, he did take a step forward. Yeah. And now at age 26, we're potentially seeing another step forward. At least he's starting uh, the season well this time around. He is starting the season. Oh, God, it's so good. Um, his his season stats, as of uh, as of he's been taken out of the game tonight. We won't know if he'll get the win or whatever tonight. But his season stats as of tonight um, are he is striking out 10.55 batters per nine innings, walking 3.44. He's given up a grand total of one home run, and he has an ERA of 1.23. That's including tonight's. That includes tonight. Okay. Man. Wow. Yeah. Um, I looked up his uh, numbers before this start. Yeah. And was completely blown away. And I think by almost any metric that you look at, he's probably been the best starting pitcher in the National League to this point. And and he's not going to continue to have a 1.2 ERA. But he is, he's always, everyone's always believed that he had ace potential. And maybe we're yeah. starting to see that, right? I think we are. And I, I, you know, I think it really was masked a little bit by his by his poor start last April because he's really been showing it for a while now. Um, but yeah, you know, tonight's start was really interesting. I was watching in fits and starts kind of as I got the kids ready for bed. But um Tonight was one of those, like, everybody, I think, who's watched Red, the Reds for a long time is aware of sort of like the, the Jose Rijo or the Johnny Cueto starts where they, like, 
they don't have their A stuff, right. but somehow it still ends up going okay. Yeah, and that was what it felt like watching Castillo tonight. Like his pitches, at least to my eyes, they weren't moving like they normally did, and you know that probably shows in the fact that he only struck out two batters in six innings. But somehow he got out of it without allowing any runs, and partially that's to the things. David Hernandez, who relieved him with the bases loaded in the seventh and then struck out the side. Yeah, I was going to mention that. Uh, big yeah. time save for Hernandez. That was amazing. But, bases loaded, no outs, comes in and strikes out all three. But even if he gives up a run or two there, that's still a, you know, a really solid start on a night when he did not have his best stuff. Yeah, pitch into the seventh and, yeah. with that, and didn't give up a run ultimately. And, uh, <laughs> you know, yikes, that's that's – that's that's crazy good. Before tonight, I was looking at some of the you know these analytics. You know the people love the analytics these days, Jason. You know that, right? I I do, and I also enjoy the analytics. Uh, whiff per swing rate, number of swinging uh, you know strikes basically per swing. Yep. Uh, he was second in the majors in that. Third in ground ball rate, which is huge at Great American Ballpark. Um, until his start, start previous to the Atlanta one, um, he had not permitted a single barrel. Basically, the, which is you know the most potent batted ball based on exit velocity and launch angle. So, yeah. um, and, and if you look at expected weighted on base average, and again that's we'll, we can get into that, but that's essentially what you would expect the other team's on base average, uh, weighted on base average, another advanced stat to be based on how hard they hit the ball, quality of the contact, and how many strikeouts. Castillo yeah. was second in the majors behind only reigning American League Cy Young winner Blake Snell through his first five starts. I mean, that's we're, – we're talking elite company now. That we don't expect to continue necessarily. Yeah. But why can't he be an ace right this second? Why? I, I, who says he's not? That's what I'm asking. Is he? I think so. I mean, his last, his last season at this point, he's been ace level. I mean, this isn't 1968 where you have to have a 250 ERA to be an ace. Like – you know, a little bit north of a 300 ERA, that's... A 300 ERA? A 3 ERA, whatever, Chad. <laughs> a 300 ERA is what I would have. Yes. No, like, you know, a, 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 an even 3 ERA, a little north of that, which is where he is, that's an ace. I mean, you're one of the top 10 or 20 pitchers in baseball, which for me, that makes you an ace. Exactly. You don't have to be Clayton Kershaw No, his height to be an ace. He was exactly. an ace, but, you, you know... know Kershaw and Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer, and then there's everybody else. And maybe Luis Castillo this season might finally make a case that he belongs in that group. And if he does, wow, great. But he still is an ace even if he's not in that group. Because there are 30 teams. You can't only have three aces. Exactly. I mean, and, and you can say, well, are there 30 aces? And I don't know how you want to define it, but uh, there's no reason for me to believe that he's not got the potential to be a top 20 starting pitcher. I mean, that's you not know? crazy. No, that's not crazy at all. And and do you know what is absolutely fascinating and I think is, is worth highlighting when it comes to Luis Castillo? Let's hear it. So one of the things about Reds fans is and is that there's 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 a chunk, and I'm sure every fan base has this chunk, where anytime a guy who was with the Reds and didn't do well with the Reds or the Reds missed something talent wise does well on another team, then that that portion of the fan base just explodes, right? Yes. True. How could the Reds, why didn't they see it or whatever, right? Why'd you trade Jay Buna for? That's yeah, little, little Seinfeld right. quote for you there. Yeah. So, um, Luis Castillo did not start a game as a professional until his fourth season, which was still in A ball 
with the Marlins after they had got him for the, from the Giants, who used him as a reliever exclusively in rookie ball and low A for three years. That, that, that is insane. He did not become a full-time starter until the Reds acquired him in 2000. Well, I guess probably looking at his numbers, probably with the Marlins in 2016, though he did have a couple of relief appearances. But still, still then, the Marlins traded him to the Reds. And I remember there was a quote, because I think Jack McKeon was still working for the Marlins at the time, uh, for, of what, what did McKeon think of, of Castillo. And he said he'll be in the Reds' rotation by midseason. And sure enough, he was. And it's two organizations that apparently did not remotely, because they got him for Dan Straley. <laughs> remember that. We, we were fans of Dan Straley when he was here, but uh, at his best, he was Dan Straley. Yeah. Who is, I believe, out of baseball entirely. I think he's looking for a job right now, yeah. Yeah. Um, you're right. And But you know what that story tells me, the whole story about Castillo and what you just mentioned, is that we really, after... 150 years of professional baseball, we really still know nothing about pitchers. We, it, this is very true. We really have no idea. I mean, this this is a guy with stuff, uh, you know, the makeup, as they call it. You know, you watch him on the mound. Uh, he's a guy that has everything you would expect to see out of a, an ace. Yeah. And yet, you know, a one really good organization, the Giants are a good organization, the Marlins are an organization. They exist, yes. Yeah, uh, but uh, at least one good organization. But two professional baseball organizations looked at this guy and said, well, you know, he's a reliever. Could be a good reliever, but he's just a reliever. I enjoyed the two professional baseball organizations. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best we can give to the Marlins. That's about as much as I'm willing to. It's like, um, what was it? Oh, somebody... There, there is a certain Reds player who has not been playing well, and, and I shall not name him. Uh, but so I think somebody, God, I can't remember the the words now that somebody used to refer to him. But it was something along the lines of like, he's a professional baseball player. <laughs> yeah, that when that's the the highest praise you can garner, that's uh, that's not good. Yeah. So Luis Castillo, he's not he's uh, throwing strikes. He is starting to go a little bit deeper into games and his changeup is just maybe the best pitch in all of baseball. Um, but he's not the only guy. Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray is exactly what I think the Reds and, and uh, what we were dreaming of, but what the Reds were hoping for when they signed him to that three-year extension. I mean, he's been really good, hasn't he? Wait, I, wait, I'm confused. Say he's been really good. He's 0-3, Chad. Oh, you're right. No wins. Never mind. Crap. My my understanding is that you have argued with people that wins are the best way to judge. <laughs> I have done that. I did that uh, in the uh, mid '90s when I was an idiot. Well, yes. well, even more of an idiot than I currently am. I'm a slightly wiser idiot. I corrected, corrected the record, so I didn't have to do it for you. <laughs> yeah, he's um, a, he's zero three. But no, he's been he's really he's been fantastic. Um, his peripherals are better than Castillo's are. It's amazing. Um, Ray isn't where Castillo's is, but his peripherals are better. The reason that's the case is since that bad opening day start where he couldn't get out of the third inning. Yeah, he, he struck out thirty one hitters and walked only two since that game. That's good. That's real good. And you know what fielding independent pitching is? FIP. 
I do know what fielding independent pitching is, FIP. And I know all of our uh, viewers know what it is as well, but it's uh, if, you, if you don't, it's a statistic that uh, basically estimates what a pitcher's ERA would look like if he had you know a league average defense behind him, essentially trying to measure the things that pitchers actually control. Yeah. I think through his first five starts, Sonny Gray's FIP was 1.97. Yeah, 1.98 as I'm staring at it right now. Oh, 1.98. So it, yeah. it adjusted this somehow. Okay, 1.98 through five starts. How many pitchers in baseball have a better mark than that? I don't know. Is it none? It's one. Is it? Is it like Jacob Degrom or somebody like that? I it's, assume. I think Blake Snell again. I believe, um, if I'm not mistaken, maybe not. But I know that I know that third was Max Scherzer. Yeah, he's good. That's some company. Yeah. So. Um, but how's this, you know, Sonny Gray had an ERA of almost seven at Yankee Stadium over the last year and a half. How is this the same guy? Why should we believe that this is a different you know, guy or just a guy that's on a good run? I I never I, I never bought the, the Yankee Stadium thing or whatever. Like, I know when the Reds got him, I went and looked at it. He had, like, five or six bad starts at Yankee Stadium. Like... Really bad starts. Yeah, really bad starts. Right. And yeah, I talked to some people, and because, and, you know, I hadn't watched the starts, obviously. And they were like, yeah, no, it was like he would come out and either be lights out or he would be great or he would be uh, a disaster, rather. And, you know, he said some things about what the Yankees wanted him to do at pitch selection. But I don't know that I really, really honestly believe that he ever actually lost it. Well, if you I mean, like- I think there were just some weird quirks, but I, I think. And I think this is why the Reds signed him to an extension. I, I don't think it ever went away. I think it was just a little bit of randomness. I, I think you're right, and I hope this is not an instance of you and I being trying to be optimistic because I think the numbers bear that out. If you look at his numbers, yes, he had an ERA of 6.98 in games at Yankee Stadium, and which caused him to have a hate-hate relationship with the New York media. Yes. And we've seen that for a lot of people. But if you look at his total numbers, during the span that he was with the Yankees, it's just about league average. Even yeah. even if you put in that 6.98 ERA at Yankee Stadium. So that what that says to me is that you're right, that he had some awful starts, but he must have been pretty good in a bunch of other starts. Yeah. They just happened to all be away from Yankee Stadium. Yeah. And there could be something to that narrative about, you know, the glare, the, the bright lights of New York City. There could be, but it also could just be random. It could, it could be, yeah. I don't know. Uh, if, like, if, if, that, if that narrative is true, though, then we're going to get the benefit of the fact that the glare is not quite as bright here because the media is not going to – I mean, they're soft on the athletes here in Cincinnati. I mean, it's just a fact. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's part of it. But if it is a part of it, then it only inures to our benefit as Reds fans, I think, is what I'm trying to say. Here's another reason why I think Gray might be the guy who was uh, – I think the way I put it was an, an ace with the athletics or at least – Ace adjacent. He is, he was critical. You mentioned it a moment ago of the Yankees for making him throw a, uh, I'm, I'm going to have to bleep the first, the way he described his slider, but they wanted him to throw his slider a lot and he doesn't have confidence in his slider. Yeah. And over the off season, he went back to his alma mater, which is Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt university. Um, they lost in the uh, College World Series to the University of Virginia Cavaliers in 2015. Just thought you'd like to know that. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
I had to throw that in. Come on. Anyway, so he went back to his alma mater and met with his old college pitching coach and one of his former teammates, and they went back to the drawing board, and and they did some tweaks and said, yeah, you do probably need to be throwing your curve more often, things like that. So, And that's good. You know, he got that feedback, but, but that former his old college pitching coach and his former teammate are Derek Johnson, the Reds' current pitching coach, and Caleb Cotham, the Reds' assistant pitching coach now. And so, I, I don't know. I just, I'm, the early returns are very encouraging. I, I think that, I just, is he going to be the second best pitcher in baseball? No, probably not. Okay. Same with Castillo. They're going to come back to earth a little bit. But there are these things with both those guys that I see that truly make me believe that they could be the one-two punch for the next, you know, they got they have Gray for the next three years after this one, and Castillo for at least the next four after this one. So I don't think that's being pie-eyed, you know, uh, dreamy optimistic is it no i don't think so in fact i think you are underselling the potential of the reds rotation right now are you accusing me of underselling being not optimistic enough you are for we we've talked exclusively we've talked extensively about these two you are forgetting someone else who has also shown us his capacity to be as you called it perhaps not quite an ace but ace adjacent yeah i haven't forgotten him i want to talk about him he's one of my favorite pitchers because here's why. Luis Castillo, 26. Sonny Gray, 29. So still, you know, in yeah. the neighborhood of Castillo just entering his prime. But Sonny Gray, not you know, not an old guy. The guy you're talking about is 24. He is 24. That's right. Who am I talking about, Chad? Tyler Malley. Tyler Malley. Oh, I love that guy. I've always loved Tyler Malley. Yeah. We've, I think we have both been on the Tyler Malley bandwagon for ever. And been higher on him than most because what does Tyler Malley do? He gets guys out. He throws strikes and gets guys out. And he always has since he came to professional baseball. And he's been you, good. He, you are correct. He has been good. And this year, he's been really good. Oh, but hold on. Let me flip the, turn the tables on you there. All right. How the turntables. Tyler Malley is 0-2 on the year. Well, I'm sorry. I, you know, I have never argued on the internets anywhere that wins were the right way to judge a pitcher. So, uh, yeah, you're right. I'm the only one with the, the bad background yeah. of that. But you got you've got the electronic trail. Chad. That's, that's right. It's out there somewhere. I hope nobody finds yeah. it. But that's what everybody says. But you know, he's uh, thrown almost as many innings as uh, Sonny Gray. He's had one fewer start. I mean, he's yeah. been he's been legit. He's not not been as good as Gray. Yeah, and that is, I mean, that's, I think, one of the fun things about Molly is he is the kind of pitcher who at times is going to go out and kind of, like, inexplicably you're going to blink and it's going to be, like, late in the seventh inning and he's going to have, like, 62 pitches. Yeah. Like, it's not going to happen every start, not not in baseball in 2019, but it's going to happen sometimes. He's got He's got 23 innings pitched, and how many batters has he walked? Do you know? Uh, I do know because I'm looking at it. Uh, why, don't, why, don't, why don't you tell us? It's four. Four batters. It's four, yes. We were just talking about how good Sonny Gray's been since that opening day start, you know, but Sonny Gray's walked more hitters than Tyler Malley. Yeah. Yikes. Man, that's, I mean, that's all the way down his line. Just, well, what more do you want out of a 24-year-old who really wasn't expected to be in the rotation to start the season? No, he was not going to make the team except for Alex Wood got hurt. Um, and, and, I mean, boy. Couple more starts like this. How do you send Tyler Molly down? How do you, especially if Di Scalfani uh, continues scuffling? Although he looked uh, much better his last time out. Yeah. I do want to. We have a question about uh, a viewer mail question about Alex Wood. I want to get to in a moment. But first, can we talk about if we're giving some love to the pitchers? Has there been anything at all 
to be disappointed in in what we've seen from Tanner Roark. No. I mean, he's been good. I mean, he's, he's been, been – yeah. He, I mean, he's been better than you – know, I would expect him to be league average. And if he's just league average the whole year, I'm happy with that. But he's been – and again, we're talking about five stars. But yeah, he's been, he's been much better than just league average. No, the whole staff. I mean, the entire starting staff has been incredible. Um, yeah, everybody. I mean, I mean, with the exception, you're right, of, of Anthony DiScofani. But, like, even that, you know, it's, yeah. it's a bad start or two, you know. It, it is. I mean, he did look better his last time out. Uh, yeah. Let's take a, a viewer mail question on this point from Isaac Starcher. Isaac asks us at patreon.com slash redlegradio, where he is a patron supporting Redleg Nation Radio. And you can, too, if you want. He asks, when Alex Wood returns ready to go, reportedly soon, does he go to the bullpen, replace someone currently in the rotation, or do the Reds consider going with a six-man rotation? I'm seeing this as an opportunity for a role similar to what Brandon Woodruff had last year with the Brewers. He could spot start against lefty-heavy teams and come out of the bullpen in long relief appearances. Thanks, guys. I'll say this, and then I want to hear what you have to, to say about it. I don't see any way... Alex Wood comes out of the bullpen. Do you? I, no, I would tend to agree. I don't think, and I also don't think a six-man rotation is going to happen. Um, I specifically don't think it because the Reds now seem to be making a point of having Luis Castillo throw every five days instead of uh, the way, you know, it used to be back in the day long ago when I was young, um, your fourth starter wouldn't get a full season's worth of start or your fifth starter rather wouldn't get a full season's worth of starts. Your, your first four guys would go every five days and then you would use the fifth starter as needed. Um, and you know, recently what's happened is that it's just been a rotation and if there's an off day, if there's an off day, but it doesn't affect the order of the pitchers. Um, but the reds shuffled the rotation. Luis Castillo pitched tonight when his turn technically would have been tomorrow. Um, and so if, if the reds are going that route, which I think is, fabulous that's actually along the lines of something i've argued before which they should try to maximize innings from people at times um and i I just think i don't i what i could imagine happening i don't know i could imagine these clefani going to the bullpen interesting yeah first of all i do i love the idea that they're trying to maximize castillo's starts yeah Um, i think that's fantastic and, and you're right about that i just Alex Wood has been injured a lot in his career, but when he's been on the field, he's been pretty consistently good and and sometimes really good. I mean, you know, he's he's 28 now, two years ago uh, at age 26, you know, he was 16 and three, 2.72 ERA and all-star, you know, I mean, he's a, he's a guy that if he's healthy can be a really, really good pitcher and, and, and a lefty. And so I don't see him going to the bullpen. I think he's absolutely, when he's ready, he's in the rotation. Now, I'm you know, concerned is not the right word. Here's what I believe is going to happen. Tyler Malley's going to go to AAA. You probably are right. No matter how well he has pitched, he's going to go to AAA. But we'll see, because with Molly, the service time stuff isn't there. Like, with the way he's been up and down, there's nothing that's going to happen. Like, you, you know what I mean? There's no service time to be gained by sending him down this year. I don't know what you're talking about. Reds would never play service time games with any good players anyway. No, it's true. They they only send keep players down when they need to work on their defense. Um, so, 
yeah, I think I think I don't know. We'll see. You know, it, I just looked up Wood to see when, and it looks like the earliest they, they anticipate seeing him is mid May. Um, so that's you know that's about what three weeks from now. So that's another four turns roughly through the rotation. If the numbers, you know, look basically the same as they do now in four weeks, how are you sending Tyler Molly down and keeping Anthony DiSclafani in the rotation? Well, you, you can't justify it if you really want to pretend like you're trying to win a lot of games, but I, I still contend the Reds are have other things that are more important to them than winning as many games as possible this year as the Nick Senzel situation has shown us. That's my opinion. So well, I, don't, I don't have faith that they're going to do what's going to win in the most games. Are you suggesting that the Reds have not been entirely above the board with how they've handled Nick Senzel? Jason, I almost said a bad word just now. Ooh, a bad word. A bad word. Yeah, be a, careful. Oh, that'll get you in contempt of court. That's true. Um, let, I don't want to talk about Senzel much because we've beaten this one to death, but I do want to mention quickly before we get into the Reds hitters and a couple other viewer questions, and then Red Leg Nation Radio Madness. <laughs> Nick Senzel is at AAA Louisville right now playing. Well, not literally playing right this second because he was not in the lineup tonight, but he did uh, have his first start. I think doubled in his first at bat. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I think that's my understanding. And uh, <laughs> when they sent him to AAA because he's healthy now, Nick Kroll, Reds general manager. And, and let me preface this by saying I'm a huge fan of Nick Kroll. Okay. Um, yeah. This this is going to sound like criticism of Nick Kroll, and it's really not. It's it's criticism of the Reds organization feeling like they got to lie to everybody about this because that's what they're doing. I mean, well, they, you know, can I, I just I want I want to vocalize something about this, which is I don't know that I've actually said this particular thing on the podcast before, and it it boggles me, right? Because there are people out there, both who have had roles in professional baseball and also just people on Twitter, who will insist that. There's nothing in the collective bargaining agreement that says you can't keep a player down for service time issues and that it, doing so is, is perfectly legal and, and carries no risk whatsoever. To which I say, then how come every single top prospect keeps having to work on his defense for two and a half weeks? Exactly. Like if, the, if these teams, which presumably, which one assumes have some very high paid lawyers advising them, aren't coming out and saying what they need to say, what what everybody knows is the truth, then... Well, have, yeah. Look at what Carl says here. I'm going to read the quote. It's, yeah. it's completely ludicrous on its face, and he says it with a straight face because he knows, frankly, that the local reporters are going to report it as fact, uh, which is another issue. I, and I, I love our, our guys. They've been good to us always, our local guys, but... It gets reported as fact. Here's what Carl said. Senzel needs to keep improving to become the guy we need out there. We have a lot of faith he can get to that point. At some point, he'll get up here, and he's still going to be learning. It's going to be constant improvement and get into that level where you're good enough to put in the big leagues. So what, what he's saying there is that Nick Senzel is, at this moment, not good enough defensively to play center field for the Cincinnati Reds in the big leagues. But Jesse Winker is. Meanwhile, and, and yeah, and they're saying... He needs reps to get ready for that. But meanwhile, they put Jesse Winker in. And I love Jesse Winker. I don't want to criticize him. He's not a center fielder. They put him out there, and he had, he had never played center field as a professional, had he? No. And also, the entire Reds outfield is collectively hitting about as well as your grandma. It's complete. It's completely garbage to say that. And, and for it to be just reported as fact. Yeah. 
really bothers me because it's not a fact. It's not true that he's in the minor leagues because of his defense to improve on defense. Because they're they've shown me they're perfectly willing to put a guy out in center field that's still learning the position. Yes, in in Winker or a guy in center field like Shebler who's just not good and is not going to get any better at this point. Yeah. So. Yes. All right. I'm frustrated by it. I, they look. They they say this to us, stuff to us like we're supposed to believe it. And somebody also, let's just, in terms of like learning a position, let's, we should just point out that Nick Senzel has done literally everything the Reds have ever asked of him and more. He was out working out in center field before they even asked him to. Oh, yeah. He was out in Arizona and not getting paid for it, mind you. No, but, he's done everything that's been asked of him and more. And he keeps sort of that, uh, you know, he's smiling but, but gritting his teeth at the same time. You can kind of tell. He's, yeah. do, he's doing what he needs to do. And uh, it's just they've they've screwed around with this kid. And I'm I'm going to be in the uh, area this week. I should probably mention uh, this. Um, I'm going to be actually coming through the Cincinnati area, going to uh, Columbus. And I had some time on Sunday afternoon. Yeah. I thought, hey, I'll stop. And, well, actually, the Reds aren't in town, uh, I guess, this weekend. But I thought, I thought when, before I looked at the schedule, hey, I'll go to the game. And then I said, you know what? I'm not spending a dime on this team as long as they're going to pretend like I'm an idiot. So get Senzel up here um, and, and maybe we'll talk. So anyway, as, as it turns out, I'm going to be in Columbus at the Ohio Anna Book Festival. Chris Garber and I, we, we wrote a book called The Big 50. And so if you're in Columbus, Saturday... We've never talked about this on the podcast before. We have not, but if you're in the Columbus area Saturday, come to the, the public library there from 1030 to 5. We'll be there. Table 34, signing books. Also going to be on an author panel talking about the book. And so anyway, come and, uh, and, and, and see us and talk to us. And let me hear your impression of me saying uh, a certain pitcher's name that I'm not going to mention right now. But anyway. Uh, Wait, yeah. I'm confused. What? Alex. No, <laughs> that's terrible. Give the people what they want, Chad. Antonio Disclavani. Chad. Chadwick. Mario. Chad. Luis Alberto. Okay, let's move on. Um, the hitters. We got a qu- <laughs> we got a question here about the, a viewer mail question that'll get us into a a uh, discussion of the hitting. From Sean Lehman, our buddy Sean Lehman at patreon.com slash redlegradio, almost all of the Reds hitters have gotten off to a horrible start. Which ones should we be concerned about? It's a small sample size, but should any of these guys be in jeopardy of losing their job? I'm looking at you, Scott Shebler. says <laughs> Sean. Scott Shebler. So. Yeah, that's what Sean said as well. I mean, certainly uh, Shebler has been... He's been unlucky. Every time he hits the ball hard, it goes right at somebody, but... He's hitting 150. Yeah. 250 on base percentage, 267 slugging. Um, it, he's been bad. I, I mean, Shebler and Kemp, that's, I think, I, you know, though interestingly, it seems as though um, Peraza has not played aside from a pinch hit appearance the last three games, and he's been in really a heck of a slump. Well, um, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's something I wanted to bring up. Uh, we talked yeah. talk about it. You mentioned it before we started the podcast. He's evidently been benched uh, temporarily, I presume, but Derek Dietrich's been getting those starts, right? Yeah, yeah, Dietrich has been getting those starts, and mm, 
I don't know. I don't. I don't like. I don't. I personally don't like it. I, I like I just, Derek Dietrich playing. You know, I don't have any problems with Derek Dietrich, and he's been a fun player to watch so far. He's got five uh, long balls, but he's the he's the new addition of Scooter Jeanette. I, you know, and if he's your backup infielder, it's great. Yeah, love having that guy. But I don't understand. And maybe it's not a technical benching. I don't know, but it certainly looks like it of Peraza, who has been flat awful this season. Yeah. I mean, he's swung at everything thrown to him. He struck out 17 times and hasn't walked a single time. He has been terrible. I'm not trying to defend Jose Peraza, but you know what? He's 25. He was pretty yeah. good last year. Why bench him? Well, and also that's players like Peraza. Who, oh my goodness, who are contact hitters. That's just going to happen sometimes. Um, and, you know, as... Maybe, not gonna, maybe it's not going to be this bad often. Yeah, no, it's not, it's not going to be It's not going to be this bad the whole, the whole time, but sometimes you're just going to have a run where it's just, it's bad. Seven bats, let him play through it. Yeah, let him, let him get out there, he'll be all right. Um, but really, I mean, I really think it's the outfielders. I think, you know, especially... Because at least the have somebody waiting who can take a starting outfield spot and probably hit better than you know any of the outfielders who aren't Puig or Winker. Um, but everybody else, you know, I think will come around. I, I, I've been very encouraged lately by the amount of walking Joey Votto has done lately. Um, you know, I know everybody's concerned about him. He kind of like calmed me down initially with a little power burst there at the beginning. And then he, he kind of went into a little bit of a slump, but, um, but he's been walking a bunch and usually with, with Votto walks translate, you know, when he, when he gets these clumps of walks, it then translates into a hot streak. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't think everybody's going to be okay. The whole team's not going to hit like this all year. That's for sure. Well, we've been saying that since the beginning. I'm with you on Votto. I was, you know, not really concerned necessarily, but, but I st- you know, and Bill Lack and I talked about it last week, I guess, or maybe whoever I talked to last week, I'm, I've been sick, as you can tell. Yeah. You start, you're always going to wonder, is the age a factor? And eventually it will be, and it might be now, probably is now. But is the age a factor to the point where we don't get Joey Votto anymore? Well, and what I'm seeing the last couple of weeks, it makes me think, well, he's looking an awful lot more like the Joey Votto we expected, so... I'm yeah. like you. I'm I'm less concerned about him now. Um, Suarez has been good. Shebler's the guy that if you're talking about a guy that he's losing spot. Well, and especially because right, Shebler has never been a. We, we like Scott Shebler, but he's never been the well. This is the guy you rely on guy. Yeah, he's he's always guy. been the well. This is a totally fine player to have on your team guy. He's been a guy. Yeah, uh, a sort of league average or maybe slightly above league average hitter. Yeah, who is not great defensively. Defensively adequate. Yeah, but he's not going to kill you. Yeah, you know, and he, but you know, he's he's killing him right now. But I kind of feel sorry for the guy. Could, could there have been? And I don't want to circle back around to Senzel. I really don't. But could there have been a worse set of circumstances for this uh, front office that is trying to lie to us and say that Nick Senzel needs to marinate in Triple A more often than the fact that Scooter Jeanette got hurt and Senzel played second base all last year, and then the all every single outfielder. Has been awful, and then yeah. Matt, and then Matt Kemp goes on the uh, disabled list. I mean, it's just a, a confluence and of events. Philip Irving, who again, quality player, but probably the fourth outfielder. 
yeah, he's, he's <laughs> just, oh, it boggles the mind. Anyway, so I don't know. I don't know what to say. The offense is getting better. Uh, the catchers have been good. Winker starting, you know, everyone, you know, see some things every once in a while. He's not been good, but you see some things that, see, that looks like he's starting to come around. I don't know. I'm encouraged that they're going to be the offense that we thought they would be, especially if they ever get Sinzel up here. Yeah. I, I think I, offensively, I really do. I do think that they will be totally fine. I just, I just can't. I, I just, I'm just not worried. I just, I'm just not offensively. Like, it would just be it would be one of the most shocking things I'd ever seen if this was like a below average hitting team. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I just don't see it happening. So and there's a lot a lot of, a lot of season left. So you know, I'm still I'm still hanging in there. One last viewer mail question right now. We'll try to answer some more at the very end, but Andrew Scott Wills asks at patreon.com slash redleg radio, please tell me the Reds are signing Dietrich to an extension. They got him uh Listen, Derek Dietrich, the Reds got him on a minor league deal. It's amazing. Yeah. He's 29. Yeah. He's a really good backup infielder in terms of coming off the bench. He's got some pop, and I love love having that guy around. They don't need to be signing any extensions, right? Can we just not do this? Can we just – listen, this – Adam Duvall was here, and people were like, oh, long, long-term contract. Do you know where Adam Duvall is right now? He's playing on uh, Matt Latos's wiffle ball team. And not far off, he's playing in AAA for the Braves. Yeah. And not because he's hurt. Right. I think I think Andrew was being a little bit facetious on that question. But uh, right. but you know there are people who are going to do that. Probably. But, and I like Dietrich. I like having him around. I've got no problem with being on our bench. Like, you know, they could even give him a little two-year deal that, where he's going to be the backup outfielder because what really needs to happen what really 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 i i need this to happen is that nick senzel is the center most of this year and then next year he's the second baseman and the center fielder is somebody by the name of taylor trammell and then your infield is Suarez, Peraza, Senzel, and Votto. And there is not room for Derek Dietrich in there. Derek Dietrich is not a better player than Nick Senzel. He is not able to play shortstop. He's probably a better hitter than Jose Peraza, but he's not a better defender. Can't play shortstop. He's not playing third. He's not playing first. And he's not playing over Winker or or Puig in the miraculous instance in which the Reds extend Yasiel Puig, which would make me incredibly happy. Yes. Um, but just, yeah, no. Anybody listening? No, no. But no. but as a backup infielder slash backup outfielder slash pinch hitter, yes, he's better than almost anyone the Reds have had on the bench for the last five years. He is he is what many people thought Skip Schumacher was. Yeah. He actually is. Yeah. I, so so we've got no problem him being here. But you know, no, he, not at all. And he's I, he's fun. Like I like him. He had this great quote. On the game today, it was such a nuke Lelouch quote. Like he had this like gold chain that he wears. That I'm sure everybody's seen. And he he said some rambly thing about like the ancient Egyptians believing this or whatever about gold. And I was like, oh my god, this is the best thing I've ever heard. Like what a delight. Um, yeah, love the guy, but he's 29. Yeah, he is no, what he, he is. I'm super enthusiastic about having him on the team, but he's not need to be the starting anything. Yeah, right. Exactly. 
And again, that's not a really a criticism of me. I, I don't mind him being on the team. You always say long term, but you know, I don't want to say the long term necessarily. But I do not mind him being one of the backup guys. This is can I can I be tangential just for a minute, Chad? Just quickly here, we got to move on to some madness. I will be quickly tangential. So one of the things I was thinking about today, I don't know how I got on this track, but I did. Like how much we just really don't understand how how good the majority of all professional baseball players are. Like, honestly, like if you're just, if you're talking to me, if you had the the quality of play that you have at triple a, and you told me that it was major league play and I didn't know anything about the pitchers and I mean, they're wearing big league uniforms. I, you know, I didn't know anything about anybody. I think honestly, the only way I would know without the benefits of all the things that we have in front of us is via the defense. The defense is noticeably worse in AAA, but because I can't tell just by looking the difference between a 94-mile-an-hour fastball and a 99-mile-an-hour fastball, I can't tell when a breaking pitch is completely deadly and when it's not just by looking. You know, I, I, don't, I can't tell the difference. And these are like, you know, a guy like Derek Dietrich, who we say he's not a starter, he's not a starter, but he is still an amazing baseball player. Yeah, that's why I said it's not a criticism. Yeah. Like these guys, they're they're all they're so good at what they do. And it's just that the margin for error at that level is so thin. And it's so thin that the vast majority of everybody can't detect it. Yeah. He, he's one of the he's one of the best bench guys, I think, in the league. I mean, I really I, he's he's yeah. a great guy to have around. And that's a that's a valuable piece yes. for a team. So I'm with you, man. I'm with you. Uh, you want to get into a little bit of Red Leg Nation Radio madness? Uh, I suppose we, we might we might as well. Yes, let's do it. Do you know what Red Leg Nation Radio madness is? It is a tournament by which we are determining who the most affable player in Red's history was. Close. That's going to be next March, perhaps. Um, but uh, not this March. This March, we're determining the most valuable Red. It's not even March. It's April. Well, no, it's not. But what happened in March this year, Chad? Well, you know, college basketball has a tournament similar to this. Yeah. We won't talk about that, but okay. uh, go Google who won that if you're listening. Yeah. We're going to talk about the most valuable red. What does that mean to you, valuable? No answer? Uh, what does valuable mean to me? Yes. Best. Exactly. To me as well. The best player is, by definition, the most valuable. But... I left that open to everyone. We had a 68-team bracket, as you all know, if you've been listening in and, and following at RedLegNation.com, and picked up, seeded out 68 players, and we're going to go all the way down. Just like every week we're going to vote, and your votes are going to determine who's the most valuable. And we'll leave valuable, the definition of that, open to you, your interpretation of it. So last week, if you listened, we, your votes cut the bracket down to 32 teams, 32 players, Yeah, and now we're going to, you all voted from Sunday to Wednesday of this past week. And Jason, are you excited to cut this down to the Sweet 16? I'm super excited. 16, Chad. Let's do it. That's about it. Let's go. All right. The round of 32 in the Crosley region. The first matchup, the number one seed, Johnny Bench, versus the number eight seed, Cy Seymour. Who'd you Must, vote for here? Right? Seymour, right? You voted for Seymour? No. 
I'm not a monster. <laughs> I'm a little disappointed in uh, how close this vote was, though. I got to be honest with you. In the first round, Johnny Bitch. Johnny Bitch was a Reds catcher, big red machine. Yeah. You may have heard of him. He faced off against Scott Williamson, who had a surprisingly good Reds career. Better than you think. But Johnny Bench won. Yeah. Johnny Bench won that first matchup unanimously. He was the only unanimous. Oh, really? I did not realize that. That's yes. awesome. The only unanimous selection into the round of 32. This week, he does advance to the Sweet 16, but he only got 99% of the votes. Cy Seymour collected three votes. Everybody makes mistakes. Some people, there are three people at least, that just want to see the world burn. Yeah. So Johnny Bench into the... Not that much. Exactly. Into the Sweet 16, their first participant in that Sweet 16 for the most valuable red, Johnny Bench. Second matchup in the round of 32, Jim Maloney versus Bronson Arroyo, a current Reds Hall of Famer versus a future Reds Hall of Famer. Who you got in this one? I could happen there. I might have taken Arroyo there, honestly. This is one that when I saw the matchup, I thought this one's going to be close. Yeah. Because Arroyo, he gets uh, what we call last week uh, and the week before the, a little bit of recency bias. We all saw him pitch. Which I always think it's justified, frankly, but yeah. Well, if you're looking at, yeah, who's better? Um, certainly. But Jim Maloney was a dominant pitcher for a while. Yeah. During, during the 60s and early 70s. And this actually ended up being as close as I thought it was going to be. Jim Maloney, the five seed, versus Bronson Royal, the 13 seed. I thought we had an opportunity to get a double-digit seed into the Sweet 16, but Jim Maloney moves past Arroyo with 78% of the vote, 78 to 22%. 78%. Does that surprise you a little bit? A little bit. A little bit. I'm not, yeah, I'm not that, yeah, 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 yeah. A little bit of a closer matchup here in terms of the vote total in the Crosley region round of 32, Ed Roush. Number three seed versus number six seed, Brandon Phillips. Dat dude BP versus dat old guy ER. Who you got here? That's a tough one because the recency thing. I'd probably take Roush, but it's close. Roush is a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Brandon Phillips is going to be a Reds Hall of Famer. He is, but again, it's the recency thing. Like I always assume that the new players are are the better players. Yeah, and again, that's why I wanted to leave it most valuable open to interpretation because it's very reasonable to say that if Brandon Phillips played back in 1919 when Ed Roush played, Brandon Phillips would be the best player in baseball. Yeah. I mean, he would destroy everybody probably. Right. Just, but just, I still, you know, I mean, I think I'm pretty sure I voted for Roush there overall. And yeah. 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 That's you decide how you want to interpret it. But Ed Roush does move on 58% to 42%. That dude BP, no fan of red leg nation goes down in the round of 32. Sorry, Brandon. I'm sure he's listening. Final Crosley region matchup. Veda Pinson, the number two seed, facing off against the old left-hander, the number seven seed, Joe Nuxhall. Who you got here? Uh, I mean, I've got Pinson there, but I would not be surprised if, if Nuxhall pulled it out. This is one that I actually expected to be close because Pinson is the probably most criminally underrated player in Reds history. Yeah. Nuxhall is beloved for very good reason in Reds history. And, if you uh, don't love Joe Nuxall and you are a Reds fan, you have no part. It's, it's true. And so I thought this one might be close. Not particularly close. Veda Pinson moves on to the Sweet 16 with 70% of the vote. So with oh. only 30% of the vote, Joe Nuxall is rounding third and headed for home. 
See what I did there? I did see what you did there. Let's move to the Riverfront region, shall we? Let's shall. Hey, did you ever go to Riverfront Stadium? I did go to Riverfront Stadium. The first professional, well, the first Major League Baseball game I ever saw was at Riverfront Stadium. Uh, me too. What a beautiful stadium. It was garbage. It, but it was it's not that. It was a place where they played baseball, for sure. It was garbage, but it was beautiful as, yeah. a, as a kid. The number one seed, Frank Robinson, facing off against the number eight seed, Johnny Vandermeer. I bet you, well, got, I bet you got Vandermeer in this one. No, no, I do not. Back-to-back no-hitters. Yeah, Frank Robinson. Frank Robinson with 98% of the votes. We'll move on to the next round. Good chapter about Johnny Vandermeer in the Big 50. I can't even say that right. My voice is so awful. I'm sorry for all of you. I'm trying to struggle through this podcast for you. The men and moments of the Cincinnati Reds. (laughs) Thank you. I need to get you to say some of these dumb things I always say this week for me since my voice is not holding up. The most interesting round of 32 matchup by far to me is the next one here in the Riverfront region. Number four seed, Eric Davis versus number five seed, Davey Concepcion. Oh, I got Eric Davis there all the way. You think it's an easy call, huh? I do. Steve Mancuso disagrees with you in the comments at redlegnationradio.com, uh, or excuse me, redlegnation.com. Uh, Rojo Benji says, not a fair head-to-head early in this game. Along with another one he uh, mentioned. Uh, I agree. I say, I say it's a shame to see either one of them eliminated so early because I do think that Concepcion is, uh, in terms of value, I think you can look at his career and you can really make a case that he's a valuable red. I I think, and people, boy, I mean, I don't know why I'm going to say this. I think, I have to preface this with the the thing that I think that Davy Concepcion was an excellent shortstop and is obviously one of the best Reds of all time. But Reds fans overrate him severely. Grade 8 bias, maybe. Yeah, I mean severely. Like, you still will get him brought up as, you know, like he's not a Hall of Fame player. He's if he here, watch this. You ready? You ready? You, this is how you know. I just want to watch the world burn. If Davy Concepcion is a Hall of Famer, so is Yadier Molina. This has been Red Lake Nation Radio with Jason's last appearance on Red Lake Nation Radio. <laughs> well, Eric Davis is again. This is the one that comes down to how do you define value. For probably a 12-month period in 1987 into 1988, Eric Davis was the best baseball player on the planet. Yes. And injuries, we all know the story. but right. And so I thought this would be a close one because Concepcion is well-regarded in the Reds history uh, for a good reason. I mean, I, th- I think I probably rate him a little higher than you. He's not a Hall of Famer, certainly, but a really good player. Eric Davis does move on, the number four seed, with 64% of the votes, so 64 to 36 Wow, that was not very close. Not as close as I thought it would be. Really surprising. Yeah. Eric Davis moves on. And I think, uh, again, that's a tough one, but I do think that's the appropriate. That's how, that's how I voted. The next matchup in the Riverfront region, Heine Grow, best name, number three seed, goes up against maybe the second best name, Adolfo Luque. Dolph Luque, the number six seed. This yeah, is Heine Grow. I'll answer like it should be. It was. It was a landslide, 83 to 17%. But Luke's a guy that's underrated. Go look at his numbers. He was great. But then Heine Grow's. Right. He is underrated. underrated. But, but Heine Grow is. He's got some numbers. Oh, yeah. Argument for being the best, second best third baseman in uh, Red's history. Uh, maybe the guy that is the best third baseman, although we played a bunch of other 
positions faced off. I'm talking, of course, about the number two seed in the Riverfront region. Tony Perez faced off against Adam Dunn, the number 10 seed. Well, we all know how you voted here, Chad, but I think the rest of us probably voted for Tony Perez. Well, I wasn't the only one that voted for the Dunner, Adam in Milwaukee. You and your acolytes. I did vote for him, and a few others did, but not that many. Tony Perez goes through 90% to 10%. So 90% which was not the lowest vote total for a top-two seed in uh, the round of 32. Let's move on to the Great American region. You ever been to Great American Ballpark? I have seen more than one game at Great American Ballpark. Number one seed Joe Morgan, second baseman for the Big Red Machine, facing off against a guy that really needs to be in the Reds Hall of Fame, number nine seed Reggie Sanders. Yeah, well, you know, I admire Reggie Sanders, but come on now. Joe Morgan moves on with 98% of the vote. Yeah. Another that's closer than it should be, and I do enjoy Reggie Sanders. Agreed, agreed. That's not, you know, it's not, as we said about Dietrich, it's not a criticism of Reggie Sanders say, you weren't quite as good as Joe Morgan. Number four seed, Jose Rijo. I love this matchup. Fascinated me. Number four seed, Jose Rijo versus number five seed, Ernie Lombardi. Lombardi, of course, a National Baseball Hall of Famer. The schnoz. Yeah, I got Riho there, though. Riho is a guy I don't know that people maybe they do think realize how good he was. I think I think many Reds fans probably do, but I think a lot of baseball fans do not. Yeah, outside of Cincinnati, you're probably right because if you look at what he did, I mean, he was like elite. Yeah, it even surprised me going back, you know, a few years ago after he'd retired and really just sort of looking at what he did, and I was like, whoa, I, he was good. But was he better he, than Lombardi? Lombardi was an MVP. Yeah, I mean, Riho should have been an MVP. He had a year, I think it was 93, where he had an MVP case. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. I voted for Lombardi here. But yeah. but uh, Red Lake Nation Radio viewers agree with you, Jason Lynn. Jose Rio with 69% of the votes. A nice win over Ernie Lombardi. Round of 32, number three seed Epa Rixi versus number 11 seed Aaron Harang. Harangatang, one of uh, my favorite players on some bad Reds teams, facing off against Epirixia, graduate of the University of Virginia. Who you got in that one? Do you have like the list of every major leaguer who's ever played for the University of Virginia memorized? Yes, it's Epirixia and Phil Gosselin. Is that the whole list? I think there's only two Reds, actually, but no, there are a bunch of others uh, more recently. Uh, Ryan Zimmerman's one you'll know. Sean Doolittle is another you'll know. But anyway. Okay. Epirixi, clearly, right? Right. 71 to 29, which is maybe a little closer than it probably should have been, uh, but Epirixi does move on to the Sweet 16. Final matchup in the round of 32 in the Great American region, number two seed Joey Votto versus the number 10 seed Ken Griffey, the original version. Yes. I mean, you know, you know, I mean, you don't even have to ask me. Ken Griffey was a fine player. Was he was a fine player? He was, you know, a fine player. He only got five percent of the votes as Joey Votto with a dominant ninety-five percent victory moves on to the Sweet Sixteen. Now we move finally to the Palace of the Fans region. You ever see a game at the Palace of the Fans, Jason Linden? I did not ever see a game of Palace of at the Palace of the Fans, and if I had, it would have been really impressive. <laughs> it would have been. You'd been old. My skeleton right now. Yeah. Number one seed Pete Rose. 
versus the number nine seed, Ted Klazuski. Big Clue. Charlie Hustle versus Big Clue. Who you got here? Uh, I, I mean, I think everybody's going to have Pete there. Uh, the lowest vote total of any number one seed, which is because Pete, it just it's hard for some people to stomach uh, clicking the vote for Pete Rose, but clearly yeah. a more valuable player than, than Ted Klazuski. He wins with 86% of the vote. Um, Klazuski, great player. You know, it's, again, not a criticism to say he didn't have the impact of Pete Rose. Now, next uh, matchup, the number five seed. This is another one I thought was interesting. Johnny Cueto versus the number 13 seed, Tom Seaver. Pretty pretty clear, right? In a heartbeat. I just wondered if uh, Seaver, because he's one of the best pitchers in baseball history at Hall of Fame, I wondered if he would get more, even though that was mostly with the, the Metropolitans. Johnny Cueto, 81% of the votes. That's, that's the right call, isn't it? Oh, yeah, for sure. As, as In terms of Reds, absolutely. The next matchup, number three seed George Foster versus number six seed Noodles Han. I'm going to say here that who the one that I voted for ended up losing this one. Who do you have in this one? George Foster versus Noodles Han. I mean, I probably got Foster in that one. As always, you're correct, Jason. When George Foster with 90% of the vote because nobody's ever heard of Noodles Han. I've heard of Noodles Han. Well, you have, but... He was good. He was. He played a billion years ago. He did, it's true. The last matchup in the round of 32, the Palace of the Fans region, this one hurt me. This one hurt me on a personal level. Number two seed, Barry Larkin, versus number seven seed, Mario Soto. If I'm going to name my four favorite Reds of all time, maybe three favorite Reds of all time, Barry Larkin and Mario Soto are going to be in that group. No question. So this one hurt me, but it's a pretty easy call, right? That should be a really easy call, yeah. But Soto was valuable. Soto, Soto was valuable, but Barry Larkin. He was great. Yeah. 94% of voters voted for Barry Larkin in that matchup, so he'll move on as well to the Sweet 16. So quickly here, Jason, I want to talk to you and get your thoughts on our Sweet 16 matchups. Let me know who you think uh going to move on here in the Crosley region. Number one seed, Johnny Bench, versus number five seed, Jim Maloney. Well, that's going to be Mr. Bench. That's going to be Mr. Bench. Again, Maloney, a fine player. The fact that he's made it into the Sweet 16 is a testament to the fact that you guys uh, understand. He was a really good pitcher, and so I'm proud of our – actually, a lot of these guys here, I'm proud of our viewers for picking some of these guys. It's a pretty good Sweet 16, and and a pretty good argument you can make this is the 16 best guys. The next matchup in in the Sweet 16 in the Crosley region, Ed Roush. Your number, uh, what seed is he? Number three seed versus the number two seed, Veda Pinson. Now that's an interesting one. You get a Hall of Famer in Ed Roush. Yeah. Versus a guy that is not a Hall of Famer. I love Veda Pinson. He's not a Hall of Famer. But man, uh, I'm so probably going to take Roush there. I don't know who I'm going to take there. I think I'm going to go Pinson. Think so? All right. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to think about that that's one for actually. I'll think about it a little bit. That's a tough one. That's My knee work is Roush, but yeah, we'll see. Yeah, that's uh, that's Eric Davis' Dave Conception level of tough. That's a difficult one. In the yeah. Riverfront region, Sweet 16, <laughs> this one. Oh, my goodness. I know who I'm going to vote for, but this is a fun one. Frank Robinson, the number one seed versus the number four seed, Eric Davis. Oh, that's Frank Robinson all the way. Well, it is, but Frank Robinson was never as good as Willie Mays. He was always in Willie Mays' shadow throughout his career. Again. 
not a criticism of Frank Robinson. He was incredible. Uh, one of the he's an inner circle Hall of Famer for twelve to fourteen months. Eric Davis was the next Willie Mays. You know, you're right. It's Frank Robinson, but I can see an argument for Eric Davis. I'm trying to keep some suspense here. Number three seed Heine Grow versus the number two seed Tony Perez. Ooh. I hope everyone will go look at their numbers. Because Tony Perez probably a little overrated. You know, yeah. I mean, he was considered to be the heart of the big red machine. But Heine yeah. Grow, people don't know him. But he is, he's sort of an, you know, secretly an inner circle Reds legend. Yeah. That's fair, right? Yeah, I think that's fair. So we'll see who you got there. Man, that's hard. Yeah, I think I'm going Perez, but it's close. I could change my mind by the time I actually I vote. I grow, but again, I might change my mind. It's that is tough. That's a, that's a tough one. Great American Region Sweet Sixteen: Joe Morgan versus Jose Rijo. Well, okay, so that's obviously going to be Morgan, but because we were talking about how great Jose Rijo was, I, I had to look something up real quick. I'm just going to drop this because this is this can be our memorial to Jose Rio who's going to lose. So from 1988 when the Reds acquired him to 1994, which is when you know, that was his last real full season or approaching a full season. That's when you know basically was the end for him. Um, Jose Rio over that time period was worth 35.6 wins above replacement. He was 25 wins above average in that span. And and the average team baseball reference has this thing where it's like, you know, what would the win percentage be if, like, this player played in, like, if, if this, like, pitcher pitched every game or whatever? And the 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 wins above average win-loss percentage, um, basically, oh, this is what, yeah, what you would expect in the only games this player played in would be over a 162-game season would be a 99-win team. <laughs> That's pretty good. He was really good. He really was. I mean, you know. I mean, if Jose Rijo had, st- if he had been one of those pitchers who stayed healthy through his thirties instead of falling to pieces in his thirties, he'd be in the Hall of Fame. No question. He had that kind of talent, and again, that comes down a little bit to how you how you value players. You know, what do you mean? What do you mean by valuable? But against Morgan, that's a tough ask. But yeah. Re- but Rijo was just. I mean, he really was legitimately a dominant pitcher at his height. And maybe yeah. the best pitcher of the league at his height. So go yeah, look at his numbers. It was him and Maddox at the top. Yeah. And so uh, with, with the votes that you can do at redlegnation.com, post it up on Sunday night, I do have links to each of their baseball reference pages so that you can go and look at their stats before you vote. Next round, Swedish 16 matchup in the uh, Great American region, Epirixi, number three seed, versus the number two seed, Joey Votto. I know who you have on this one. That's Votto, and, it, and honestly, honestly, I know I'm biased, but it shouldn't be close. No, it, it should be close. I mean, have you already forgotten where Epirixi went to college? Um, was it was it like what was it Virginia Tech? Was, was it St. John's? Let me tell you this: it was not, and also he's not no stupid Canadian neither. Did you like that murk I dropped on you there? I do. I enjoy yeah, that. I guess, right. Yeah, you know, but again, that's a, Rixie's a guy. I want you to go look at his numbers. He was great. 
Joey Votto, we sing his praises here every week, so we don't need to extol his virtues anymore, I don't think. In the Palace of the Fans region, number one seed Pete Rose versus number five seed Johnny Cueto. This is similar to the Joe Morgan, Jose Rio, but kind of on a, a lower level in some yeah. ways, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's going to be Rose, but but yeah. Cueto and Rio have an argument, along with Jim Loney, who we talked about earlier, and, and Mario Soto, I think. And there's a couple others you could throw in there, but have an argument for being the best Reds pitcher of the last 50 years. Yeah. And so. I, I still maintain, and you know, we haven't seen the end of his career yet. Hopefully he comes back well from Tommy John surgery, that if the Reds had decided to um, to extend Cueto, that he had a really good shot of being the best pitcher in Reds history. Yeah, I think so. Cueto was the real deal. Yeah. Good chapter about him in this book, I, I know. I can't say the name, though. The final Sweet 16 matchup. George Foster, your number three seed in the Palace region, versus the number two seed, Barry Larkin. To me, this is the most interesting Sweet 16 matchup. See, I don't think it's interesting. I don't think this should be remotely close. Um, because for me, I mean, I, I, we might have said this, and I'm, I'm just forgetting when we first introduced it, but for me, this is that it's really that there, when you're talking about who's the greatest red ever, there are six players in the conversation. And two of them had to be number two seeds for this, and one of those two was Barry Larkin. You're right. I mean, we, in our discussions, or I shouldn't say our discussions, when the committee discussed the seating, they went into executive session, discussed the seatings. Yes. Um, Larkin and Votto, there was some interest in the room for them being number one seeds. There were good arguments made for them. They ultimately became number two seeds. But yeah, I think they're the top two number two seeds, right? Yes. But now again, value. George Foster was an MVP, just like Barry Larkin. Yeah. George Foster hit uh, 92 home runs in two years for the Reds. Yeah. George Foster was a great Red. And George Foster in the Hall of Fame? He's in the Reds Hall of Fame. Is George Foster in the National Baseball Hall of Fame? He's in the National baseball sideburns hall of fame. No, that's true. Those mutton chops, valuable, valuable mutton chops. Yes. So, okay. had a run, but he's not, his best season was better than Larkin's best season, but that's it. That's all you can say. Okay. So if you're talking about value, I, I don't know. It depends on who's voting. Some of the older guys might say Foster. Some of the less older guys like me might say Larkin. I'm going to go Larkin because I, I do believe he's better uh, and more valuable, but I can see that would be an interesting one. So, again, the final Sweet 16 matchups. Johnny Mintz versus Jim Maloney. Ed Roush versus Veda Pinson. Frank Robinson versus Eric Davis. Honey Grove versus Tony Perez. Joe Morgan versus Jose Rijo. Epirixi versus Joey Votto. Pete Rose versus Johnny Cueto. And George Foster versus Barry Larkin. So, I, yeah, I think it's a pretty good uh, Sweet 16, don't you? I do think it's a pretty good Sweet 16, and I'm really interested to see what happens with the Elite Eight. Yes. Because I think that's when stuff is going to get real crazy. You know, in the college basketball tournament, they, when the higher seeds make it through, they call it you know, chalk, basically. And we've had a lot of that. It's not completely the top seeds making it through, but close to that. And so, But you're right. We're getting to a point now where there's going to be some really tough calls. And so, what's, this, is, this is kind of – this is my, my personal opinion – I think that in probably 
three out of the four regions, I think that the vote totals will, will get substantially closer. What I'm interested to see is if there is ever a vote where Johnny Bench gets less than like 90%. <laughs> It'd be interesting because, again, he was undefeated or unanimous in round one and yeah. nearly unanimous in round two. So, As we've done the last two weeks, you can go to redlegnation.com on Sunday night. The polls go live Sunday night at 8 o'clock p.m. They're open until Wednesday night at 8 o'clock p.m. We'll send it out on our uh, Twitter page, etc. But you can go to redlegnation.com, scroll down till you find it. And you can vote on all the Sweet 16 matchups. And the next week we will reveal who makes it to the Elite Eight. Oh, it's just terribly exciting, Jason Linden. It is. The, what could be more exciting? Uh, nothing. All right. Uh, so we're running out of time here. Let's uh, try to answer just a couple quick viewer mail questions if we could. Um, let's see what we've got here. Thomas Dennis asks, I like Philip Urban. Really want him to be magic. Just not sure he'll be the guy I want him to be. I see him closer to a future Dietrich whom I love, rather than a future Jay Bruce, an everyday guy. Am I wrong? Thomas is right. No, I think that's just a perfect assessment of Philip Irvin, yeah. yeah he, can be a, he can be a really good bench guy, which is what Dietrich yeah. is. We, it's, again, you don't have to <laughs> feel like it's criticism to say he's not a starter. He's not going to be a starter. I don't think he's good enough. But he's good enough no, to be a major he, leaguer. He can spell you. I think he's the kind, he's like Dietrich, he's the kind of guy who could start even for a season, you know, in a pinch, but he shouldn't be a long-term thing. Yeah, he's 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 Shambler. He's he's okay. If if he started for the next two years, he's probably going to be just good enough. But the Reds have better options right now. Right. Yeah. Um, Chris Garber. He thinks he's funny. He asks, "Would you rather fight twelve Scott Shebler sized ducks or twelve duck sized Scott Sheblers?" Twelve Scott Shebler sized ducks. Or 12 duck-sized Scott uh, Shebblers. I'm going to take the duck-sized Scott Shebblers there. And I've, got, I've, got, I've got good reasoning for it. Well, let's hear it quickly. All right. So um, the local zoo has a very substantial population of geese down here. And uh, the geese, geese are larger than ducks, right? And Scott Shebbler is much larger than a goose. Um, and... You know, the, the geese, they're not shy. They, they can get pretty aggressive at times. And I feel like if I had 12 waterfowl that were the size of a, of, a, of, a, of a fairly substantial Major League Baseball player coming at me, I don't want to mess with that. At least with the Scott Shevlers that are duck-sized, I feel like I could punt them out of existence. Okay. Yeah. My answer is it's a completely ludicrous question, and I'm going to smack Chris Garber in the face when I see him this weekend at our book signing. Stephen Offenbaker. Host of the Reds Alert podcast. He asks on patreon.com slash redlegradio, Chad, what would you like your next book to be about and who would you like to interview for it? And then let me answer that one. Then there's a question for you, Jason. Uh, to me, I, I want to be about Adam Dunn, obviously, the legend that is Adam Dunn. That's who I want to interview for it. Jason. It's Adam Dunn. Adam Dunn. Jason, what is your dream literary project and who, if anyone, would you want to work with on it? Interesting. Um, write the things that I think are projects and they exist on my hard drive. Mostly for now, there's the one that's out. Uh, the person I would like to work with on these is, I don't know, a publisher. Ah, yes. Excellent. Agreed. Um, Matt Sheary asked if the Reds are essentially out of the playoffs of the trade deadline, who do you think is most likely to be traded? 
I say Matt Kemp. Well, if they're if they're completely out of it at the trade deadline, I think it's the most likely to be traded as one of the starting pitchers. Um, Alex Wood, real value back for those. Like for Wood or Rourke, they would get they would get real value for one of those guys. Probably, yeah. If they're completely out because those are guys that are going to be gone at the end of the year unless they re-sign them. So, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Camp is probably in there. Shevler may be in there, depending on if somebody needs a center fielder and, and he's undervalued. I don't know, but I think you're right. I think Alex Wood is who I go with, but Wood or Rourke. Hooper Powell asks at patreon.com slash redlegradio. This is the final question for the night. Would you rather be on a cross-country road trip listening to the woo guy? Appropriate since tonight was the bark in the park at Great American Ballpark where the woo began a few years ago. Or listening to Chris Welsh talk about Mike's car wash. You know what I'd listen to on the cross-country road trip? What? Red Lake Nation Radio. Oh, there right? we go. There we go. I thought you were going to say the audio book of the Big 50. <laughs> Finish it. Finish the it. moments of the Cincinnati Red. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You're listening to Red Lake Nation Radio. Thanks for listening to us. I'm Chad Dawson. He's Jason Linden. I'm at Dawson C. He's at Jason Linden on Twitter. You can find us at Red Lake Radio. If you're listening to us, you're probably subscribed. Our subscriber numbers keep going up, and I appreciate that. Tell your friends about us. If you like us, talk about us. If you don't like us, as we say, keep your mouth shut. If you haven't subscribed yet, go to iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe. Leave us a review. If you want to support us at patreon.com slash redlegradio, you can. Your viewer mail questions will get a little bit of priority for us uh, on nights that we don't have a lot of time. But you don't have to. This podcast is going to be posted every Friday. You can get some goodies over there, but we'll post it free of charge every single Friday, always, for the rest of time. Any final thoughts for us, Jason? Go Reds. Go Reds. And, and listen, thank you all for suffering through my uh, my voice problems this week. Believe me, I'm trying. And it, it, voice suffering this week for everyone. It, it's it's all for you guys. I, I love you guys, but but not Jason. For Jason Linden and Adam Dunn, this is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.